Iowa State's Jack Trice Stadium looks a lot like other college football stadiums. In fact, Milan Pushkar Stadium at the University of West Virginia was modeled after the Cyclones football home. The Jack, as some call it, was built in the 1970s and has been expanded a few times. It now seats just over 61,000 fans. There have been upgrades too, like two huge video boards at the north and south ends of the stadium. But the biggest upgrade may be the name. Hasn't always been Jack Trice Stadium. It was Cyclone Stadium for a long time. 97 was my senior year in high school, and that's when they renamed it Jack Trice Stadium Cyclone Field. And so the significance of having the only stadium in Division I football named after a black person, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, you don't see that. And so for Iowa State to have that story makes it very significant to be here. During a game time, the spirit of Jack just resonates in here. Welcome to BYU Radio's Big Stories, a show dedicated to the incredible tales surrounding the opponents of the BYU Cougars. I'm your host, Cleon Wall. In this episode, we're going to focus on the spirit of Jack Trice and how his trailblazing efforts still inspires Iowa Staters and others to this day. Coming up a bit later, you'll find out how a former Cyclone softball player social media post brought two teams and fan bases together. But let's get back to Jack. I will. I will, capital letters. I will. I will. I will. There is so much certainty in that declaration. It shows confidence, not bravado, self-assuredness. The two-word proclamation states that something important is about to happen. You will find I will all over the campus of Iowa State University. One location is on the east concourse of Jack Trice Stadium with the words emblazoned on a wall. Just below the statement is a life-size likeness of Jack in his Iowa State football uniform. It looks just like the uniform he wore over 100 years ago. The uniform that they wore, it had a diamond of bars in it. If you cut that in half, it's the top part. It is um, a big symbol of Iowa State. George Trice is Jack's first cousin twice removed. Jack penned the words, I will, the night before a football game against the University of Minnesota back in 1923. But Jack is so much more than those words. John Jack Trice. Jack's name is really John. And people don't really get that piece. He goes by Jack, but his name is John Trice. Jack grew up in Ohio playing football at Cleveland's East Technical High School. After he graduated, Jack made a decision to follow his high school coach to Iowa State College. Brought six players, five white players and Jack. So six players in total. So he had teammates. He had people that supported him and knew him from back in the, back where they were from in Cleveland. But he could not stay in the same dorm. He could not go to eat the same places. He had to stay off campus. Those are things that he had to deal with. So the Big Eight, seven other schools that didn't want to play him, that's who he was going against, because that's the reality. He always had a smile, a little smirk, a little smile, but you didn't see him really be sad. There's no pictures of him sad. There's, a, there's this blank stare at his face sometimes because, again, he had to, the dog and pony show. It was a dog and pony show. Being the only black person, that was what he had to deal with. Jack had big plans after his playing days were done. He studied animal husbandry through vet med. He wanted to go back down south, teach ex-slaves how to share crop, to get paid to do something they had been doing for free for so long. That was his end goal. He had better, bigger aspirations than football. 
Back then, you know, he knew he wasn't going to go to the football league. He knew he was not going to be a professional football player. He was doing it because he had a passion for it. He was built for it. He was good at it, and his coach wanted him there with him. Jack had played in scrimmages and JV games, but his first official varsity football game was in early October 1923 at the University of Minnesota. Going to that game, sitting on a train by yourself from here to Minnesota, probably was a 10-hour to 12-hour journey to get up there by train. But he wasn't in the same car with his teammates. He wasn't in the same car with his coach. He gets there and stays at the Curtis Hotel, a different hotel than where all of his teammates are at. You know, so we don't know what he faced by himself. The night before the game is when Jack wrote his famous letter. It wasn't meant for anyone but himself. It was a statement of self-affirmation that went beyond the game of football. Here's George reading the entire entry. The Curtis Hotel, Minneapolis, October 5th, 1923. To whom it may concern, my thoughts just before the first real college game of my life, the honor of my race, family, and self are at stake. Everyone is expecting me to do big things. I will. My whole body and soul are to be thrown recklessly about on the field tomorrow. Every time the ball is snapped, we'll be trying to do more than my part. On all defensive plays, I must break through the opponent's line and stop the play in their territory. Beware of mass interference. Fight low with your eyes open and toward the play. Roadblock the interference. Watch out for cross bucks and reverse end runs. Be on your toes every minute if you expect to make good. Jack. He was way ahead of his time for his age to think about things the way he thought about, to use the words he used, to know that he was going out there for his family and his, and his self and his community and his race to go do something bigger than himself. It wasn't about him playing football against the University of Minnesota. It was about him playing football against all oppression, against everybody that was against him. The next day, Minnesota and Iowa State met out on the football field. Jack goes out there in his pads, or clothes, if we want to put it, and the first or second play of the game, he is hit hard, targeted, broken collarbone. People heard the snap. He heard the snap. He continues to play. He didn't give up. Now, he's on defense. Third quarter, defensive play, roadblock. Roadblock is already a dangerous play in the game. You throw your body out there and you hope for the best to knock the legs out of the, of the offenders. The offense did not jump over him. The offense trampled him. You have three players that trampled him while he's laying on the ground trying to perform a normal football play. He has to come out the game eventually. He can't keep going after that. Doctors then clear this guy to travel by train, battered, bruised, eight hours or so back to Ames, Iowa. He shouldn't have been on a train. He shouldn't have been cleared by the doctors to go. There was not a thorough check. So he rode home on a train in the baggage car on a straw bed. Tom Emerson is a retired Iowa State University journalism professor. Um, and then they took him to the uh, college hospital right away. Uh, and that was Saturday night, I guess, maybe early, yeah. And uh, he died on Monday. Autopsy comes back, broken collarbone apparent. Internal bleeding was the cause of death. Couldn't stop that. He didn't have enough time. Three days of him internal bleeding, there's nothing they could do. And he dies on campus. 
and that's the end of, of Jack's life. Jack was only 21. Approximately uh, 3,000 people gathered by the Campanile uh, and uh, when they uh, uh, had the funeral service. Students raised money to pay for the funeral service and to help Jack's widow. A plaque also commemorated Jack's sacrifice. The team, by the way, that uh, uh, got the plaque made and put in the state gym so somebody would know. And uh, then uh, he was sort of faded from people's memory. When we return, the story of Jack makes a comeback. You're listening to BYU Radio's Big Stories. I'm Cleon Wall. Tom Emerson is very familiar with Ames, Iowa. Graduate of Ames High School and a 1961 graduate uh, in technical journalism at Iowa State. But Tom had never heard of Jack Trice. He knew nothing about Jack being the first black football player for Iowa State or that Jack had penned an inspirational letter to himself the night before his first real college football game, nor that he died shortly after that game. But he found out about Jack while waiting to talk to the director of intramural sports on campus. He had somebody in his office, so I wandered into the gym and was looking around, and uh, I saw that plaque, and I read it, and I thought, what is this? You know, I never knew nothing of that, Jack Trice. And so as soon as I had a chance to talk to Harry Schmidt, the intramural director, uh, he knew all about it because he was on the same team. He played, uh, like, uh, right guard, and Jack was left tackle or something like that. And so he told me the story, and I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is really newsworthy. Uh, nobody knows. Um, so I trotted over to the library and started copying <laughs> clippings and all that, and then I wrote a story which appeared in um, a campus magazine. Here's Tom reading part of his story on Jack Trice from 1957. Yeah, probably one of the most significant happenings in this college's history remains one of the most uh, silent. This is the story of Jack Trice, the first Negro to participate in Iowa State Athletics and the first man ever to die as a result of direct participation in an intercollegiate uh, athletics at Iowa State. I just thought it was an awfully good story, and not, not that it would sell or anything, but it's a story that needed to be told. And uh, I, I didn't think at all at the time about what the uh, feedback or implications of the story. Well, if I did think at all, I thought people would be, uh, w would agree with me that this guy deserved <laughs> recognition. And um, there's still no reaction of uh, any particular kind until uh, 1973 or four, which would be 19 or so years ago after I wrote my story. That's when an English class heard about Trice's story. At the same time, uh, Iowa State was building a new football stadium. The old one was creaky. Some of the students in the class said, why don't we name the stadium after Jack Trice? And the class said, basically, yay, let's do that. And uh, the teacher, uh, Charles Sohn, uh, and his helper, uh, Alan Beals, both uh, sort of carried the ball too, but um, it, didn't, uh, it didn't meet much favor. 
for a long time. Iowa State's football home was eventually named Cyclone Stadium. But year after year, students continued to cry that it should be named after Jack. At one time, uh, they hired a plane to fly over the, uh, the stadium after it was built, but not yet named. They said, welcome to Jack Trice Stadium or that. They had a billboard once that said, welcome to Ames, home of Jack Trice Stadium. Professor Emerson and his colleagues made sure students never forgot Jack Trice's short life. I sometimes wondered if, uh, if, if Bill Kunis and I went too far, but all we really did was just make sure that people were aware of the story and then they could do what they want. Finally, in 1997, the stadium was renamed for Jack. It was wrong that it took so long, but it was right that the students did what they did. George Trice had heard about his trailblazing relative when he was eight years old, but he truly didn't understand who he was until the stadium's name changed. My football coach, I go to his office every morning before school. He was an English teacher. He was reading the paper. Cleveland Plain Dealer had an article saying that Iowa State was renaming their stadium to Jack Trice Stadium and had a little blurb on who Jack Trice was. And I took it back to my mom and said, hey, are we related to this? Because my coach brought me this. He's from East Tech. We're from that area. Like, who is this? Who is Jack Trice? And that's when my grandfather was like, oh, that's who, this is who Jack Trice was. That's when George contacted Iowa State about coming for a visit. February of 98, we came out here. And it was different than what I expected. We're going to a basketball game at Hilton Coliseum, and everybody's giving me the thumbs up. Everybody's smiling, everybody's cheering. I'm on a screen at the stadium, the basketball stadium. Everything's going great. After I get off the screen, and I can never remember this gentleman's name, but he was an usher at Hilton Coliseum, played with Jack. He walked up the stairs and sat next to me. I was on the end. He sat next to me for 45 minutes. I, don't, I didn't even watch the game because he was talking to me about playing with Jack and knowing Jack. And, and that was like, man, that's crazy. And I'm sitting here looking and I see the stadium from across the way. And I looked at my mom and said, I think this is a place that I could be. And I said, our family here, we have legacy, we have history here. This is where I should be. George eventually graduated from Iowa State and is helping others do the same through the Trice Legacy Foundation. I went on Facebook and said, hey, I want to start a scholarship fund for Iowa State for kids of color to go to school. I want black kids to be able to go and fulfill their, their legacies. And got people on Facebook sending me money. It wasn't even a 501c3 yet. And we've grown the Trice Legacy Foundation in three years to $50,000 to be able to give three kids scholarships this year, to be able to give six laptops for technology uh, uh, degrees and technology awards. We've been doing things to help others to fulfill and to build their legacy. Being from the state of Iowa, I knew obviously that, you know, it was the only stadium in the country to be named after an African-American man. But aside from that, I honestly didn't know his story or like how that came to be or anything like that. Cyclones defensive back Darian Porter learned more about Jack once he joined the football team in 2020. Our coach Matt Campbell made a really big effort to tell Jack Trice's story as a part of like a rallying cry to the team. And you know, the big quote from that is that everything that he, he wrote in his first letter right before the game, he said, everything, everybody's expecting me to do great things and I will. And that was kind of our our mantra for that year and we had a very successful season that year so and then it's kind of just been pushed a little bit more what is that just that 
those two words mean to you. I will. You know, it's just knowing that even a hundred years ago now that um, a college kid realizes that what he's doing is, is significant, but he wasn't ever nervous, he wasn't scared, and he had nothing but the most confidence in himself and his ability. It's very, it's very reassuring and um, just gives me a lot of hope that you know that you could do whatever you set your mind to and as long as you have you're prepared and have enough willpower to do so i will those two words and the letter jack wrote are so powerful that letter was found in jack's jacket pocket on the day of his funeral it's now housed inside the university's library i'm rebecca wells and i'm the student life archivist at iowa state university we're in special collections in university archives. The Jack Trice letter is kept in our vault, and our vault is um, a very secure space um, with only a few of our staff members having access to it. We were fortunate enough to read the authentic letter, but not everyone gets the opportunity. So normally when people do come up to see the letter, we do pull out the replica. Um, it looks almost exactly the same. You probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference, um, but that is solely so that it is not being exposed to the light, which causes fading. And even down to um, exposing it to light can uh, exposes it to heat, which increases the rate that the molecules inside the letter are moving, which again increases the rate of degradation. The university and city of Ames celebrated the 100th anniversary of Trice's sacrifice by attempting to keep the spirit of Jack Trice alive. A street next to the stadium was renamed Jack Trice Way. And the breaking barrier sculpture to the north of the stadium was unveiled, featuring the silhouette of Jack. The top piece has a fracture in the concrete which represents Jack Trice breaking through the barriers around him. We, we have a long way to go. George Trice has learned a lot from Jack's life and legacy. This whole process saying it took 50 years to get this, over 50 years, but it happened, shows that we can do anything if we come together. We gotta come together. Jack didn't give up. He was going to succeed. He was going to go out there and do his best. I will go out there and do my best. I will. Coming up next, I did not realize like I would wake up one morning and there'd be over like 2 million views and 8,000 likes. It was, it was pretty crazy. How social media spawned the Cycloneers and changed a softball player's life. Welcome back to BYU Radio's Big Stories. I try really hard not to interact with fans, but sometimes they say something really good. So like I have to say something back. I think fans make the game way more fun. Leah Nelson knows a thing or two about fans. She verbally jousted with a few of them in her time as an outfielder for the Iowa State softball team. Most of the stuff they would say was harmless. Just like, don't drop the ball, like your shoe's untied, stuff like that. I don't think I've ever really had an experience where it got personal, but I've had some other teammates where they'd bring up like boyfriends or whatnot and they just laugh. I mean, you're at the, you're just focused on the game and, and they're just trying to get in your head so you really don't want them to know that they're in your head. So you usually just won't say anything. Leah's senior season with the Cyclones was anything but focused and it was not due to the fans. We weren't winning a whole lot of games and we were losing really close games or losing games we should have won. So it's pretty frustrating. I wasn't as joyful, as happy. Um, I found myself not like reading the Bible as much as I used to. And, and um, it really frustrated me because, you know, faith isn't 
Like I shouldn't be only faithful when things are going well. I was having a really hard time, didn't want to go out this way. And so I was just trying to find any way to be happy and enjoy my time. So I would just, you know, try to have a great time at practice, enjoy the travel, just kind of absorb all the good memories with my team. And just if we lose, we lose. If we win, we win. One social media post changed everything. I saw a tweet from Iowa State's Barstool and it was basically saying now that basketball's over, there's uh, there's no, like no team to cheer for. And they even said, especially since we don't have a baseball team, which kind of hurt. So they were, I was like, obviously, if you know that we don't have a baseball team, you have to know we, you like have a softball team. Um, so I was really frustrated when I saw that. I sent it to our team's group chat and everyone was shocked that, you know, they would tweet something like that. Leah was fired up and ready to respond, but she wanted to write the right thing. I couldn't do something really long or like dramatic because people tend to just like read over it and, um, you know, keep scrolling. So it had to be something short people would read and then a little sarcastic and funny. Um, But it kind of came to me right away. I was like, I'll just tweet it. So I just typed, well, this is awkward and sent and then people started loving it right away. I just didn't expect it to get further than Iowa State fans. I just kind of thought it would stick around like our community and people would kind of support the softball team there. I just didn't realize it would go nationwide. One of their first allies, the West Virginia Barstool account on social media platform X. The group posted they would become Iowa State softball's biggest fans. One reason, the Mountaineers don't have a softball team. It was like we would play a game and West Virginia Barstool would tweet at us like, congrats or good luck. And then um, as we kept playing and West Virginia kept supporting us, we ended up having a lot more West Virginia fans like tweet at us after games. It was a lot of like, go um, Psycho Nation, like we have your backs. And it was just kind of crazy because we're just usually used to Cyclone fans tweeting at us after games. And now a whole nother school was showing their support. The number of new fans was about to explode, all because of the events In the middle of April 2023, the Cyclones traveled to Stillwater, Oklahoma for a three-game series against the OSU Cowgirls. ISU softball coach Jamie Pinkerton made a surprising discovery. I think we were practicing one Friday morning and Coach Pink was like, yeah, we saw like some of the West Virginia baseball guys here. And I was like, what? Coach Pink's like, yeah, they play here this weekend. Like you should reach out. I'm like, oh, that's definitely what I'm gonna do. The softball team was gifted tickets to the Mountaineers and Cowboys Saturday night game after ISU's matinee loss to the Cowgirls. I think they, a lot of the fans originally thought we were there just to cheer against Oklahoma State, and that wasn't the case at all. We were there to cheer for West Virginia, Um, but they sat us in a section with like other West Virginia fans, so that was nice, but there were quite a few fans that were not happy with the way we were cheering. And I would say softball cheering is a lot different than baseball cheering, so we were pretty rowdy in a respectful way. And then they ended up putting the score of our game on the video board and and everyone looked at us and booed us and it was it was like really dramatic but it was kind of fun it was surreal we would like look around and everyone was just staring at us like giving us a thumbs down so we're like wow <laughs> this is pretty crazy yeah i didn't have any idea what was going on this is west virginia baseball coach randy Maisie. we we put a relief pitcher in the game as he was coming in from the bullpen i heard a, a big round of applause for him and we didn't have that many fans there. We had some parents and stuff, so I wondered who it was. And I looked up there and saw a bunch of girls cheering for him. And I asked one of my coaches standing beside me who that was up there. And they said, that's the Iowa State softball team. 
and they're in town playing Oklahoma State as well. The Mountaineers were basking in the glow of the Cyclones' cheers. We had a few players, like, point at us and wave. Um, I couldn't remember who hit the home run, but right when he hit, like, home plate, he um, waved at us and pointed at us, which was really cool. Um, one of my teammates got a foul, not a foul ball, he just tossed it to her, which was, which was awesome. And so they, they definitely knew why we were there toward the end of the night. I think it, we had to leave around, like, the seventh or eighth inning because we had an early morning game. We needed to get back and rest it up, um, but none of us really wanted to leave. Coach Maisie was happy for the Cyclones' backing, but he had a warning for his team after their 9-5 to victory. I explicitly told them that nobody is to break curfew tonight. We got a big game tomorrow. They've got a big game tomorrow. Let's just kind of leave it as it was today and, and see where it goes from here. Leah and her teammates had no problem focusing on the following day's game against OSU. It was pregame, and we were like, let's just do it for West Virginia. Like, why not? Let's just kind of change our mindset. The game was a long one. It lasted 11 innings, and Leah started hearing it from the Oklahoma State fan base. I remember uh, being pretty nervous. And uh, they would they would tell me how the West Virginia uh, and Oklahoma State baseball game was going. And they told me that West Virginia was losing. They're like, your boys are losing. What are you going to do? You guys are probably going to lose too. All this stuff. And it was really hard for me to not like turn around. But they could see that I was smiling and, and laughing at what they had to say. Eventually, the Cyclones triumphed three to two. I don't think I've ever sprinted so hard from the outfield ever in my life. I just ran in from left field. We all met at home plate. Everyone was just so excited, cheering, exhausted. I mean, 11 innings is, is a lot. It's almost two games, so um, it was pretty surreal. Then came the celebration on the bus. None of us knew the words to Country Roads, but somehow when they, the bus driver played it on the stereo system, we all knew the words and we were all singing it and our coach was videotaping it, like tweeted it out and that got so many, so many likes, responses. Everyone was so excited. Anytime you see a team celebrate, that's cool. But the Sing Country Roads started the real connection between, uh, between their team and our team. The Mountaineer baseball team sent the ISU softball team a signed jersey, thanking them for their support and the Cyclones reciprocated. Everyone was hopping on the on the bandwagon, I guess. Like, shirts were being made. Um, people were changing their bios. Um, hashtags were being created. Um, Cycloneers happened, so they mixed Mountaineers and Cyclones together, and so now we're the Cycloneers. Unfortunately, no Hollywood ending for the Cycloneers as neither team made the College World Series. But it was worth it for Leah Nelson. It changed her life. I think God kind of had my back, noticed I was really struggling, um, and that's why this West Virginia thing happened. I truly do think that this was supposed to be like a release and a realization that there's so much more than just winning. Um, and so this whole West Virginia experience was pretty incredible. And I definitely started becoming like even stronger in my faith because here I am enjoying my senior season. It was the best season ever. Um, I ended up, you know, ending softball on such a high note and in such a jo joyful tone. Um, and I definitely, I know for a fact that it was because of God and his plan for me. And who knows what will happen to these Cycloneers in the future. Maybe one day West Virginia gets a softball team and then I'm the head coach. I told Coach Pinkerton this, how cool would it be if one of their girls married one of our guys. Uh, <laughs> and 20 years from now, they can. this is how the whole thing started. I think that'd be a really cool story. Thanks for listening to BYU Radio's Big Stories. It's produced and written by me, Cleon Wall. 
Music and post-production by Kevin West. Make sure you watch BYU TV's Big Stories by logging on to BYUSN.com. Big Stories is a production of BYU Radio. 